that's when you need to start outsourcing and hiring people because you're like, I don't have more time and I'd rather trade money to get some of my time back. Sometimes you may make riskier decisions and they could fail, but that doesn't mean your business is going to fail either, even if like something doesn't work out. Welcome to BTW by Emily. I am your host, Emily, and I am the founder and creator of Health and Body, a science-backed wellness and lifestyle brand focused on helping you sharpen your life toolbox. And in today's episode, we are joined by my business coach, Abby. Abby is also someone that I went to school with at Columbia. She graduated last year and was someone who was on a similar journey as me. She runs a multi-six-figure company and did that all while in grad school. And I had the pleasure and honor of her being my business coach. And today we get into topics about starting your own business, the challenges, the risks, the rewards, and how you just need to start. Because by the way, you just need to start. Well, welcome, Abby. I am so excited to have you on. For those of you that don't know, Abby and I went to Columbia together. She was also my first business coach. Today, we're going to be talking about just starting out and starting a business. I think that the hardest part is just starting, and there's a lot of pressure around that. So I would love to just get into what are some things that you wish you would have known when you started building your business. I know that for me, you you need something to start. There is costs associated, and I know we have different starting points with the costs that we like invested into this business. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Emily, thank you so much for having me. I have been so excited for us to record this, and I've loved coaching you and watching you grow. Like The fact that we're on your podcast right now, incredible, like incredible growth. Crazy. Yeah. And I'm so happy that you just went for it and you've been so like willing to try new things and see what works and see what doesn't, because that's really a part of the process too, is just putting stuff out there so that you have data to figure out what, what you're going to do. So for those of you who are listening and don't know me, I have been an entrepreneur and running my health and life coaching business. That's been totally virtual, even before the pandemic made it cool to be starting online businesses. Uh, I've been doing this for over four years now. And, you know, I always thought I was going to go to med school, but that path wasn't aligning for me. So that's when I started doing research on what else is out there. And health coaching was really appealing to me. And I was on a bunch of email lists. I was attending webinars. What certification should I do? Should I get a mentor? Should I go to business school? What do I want to do if it's not going to be medical school? And I ended up on this strategy call and it was marketed that I was going to get three-step blueprint for starting my own online business. And we were going to strategize that on the call. And I was like, Oh, that sounds amazing. Like that'll give me quick action steps. It's a free consultation just to get started. Uh, (laughs) It ended up not being a 30 minute strategy call. It ended up being a two and a half hour sales call that ended up with me investing like the entirety of my savings at the time into a business coach. And I wasn't even talking to the business coach. I was talking to their salesperson. 
So how did this evolve um, from going to the point of signing up for the strategy call to then hiring the coach? I mean, they must have sold you. They sold me hard and, you know, they really got down to the emotions. They weren't selling the features of the program. I actually really didn't know exactly what I was signing up for. Like, I didn't know how many coaching calls I was going to be getting. I didn't know exactly how often I would be meeting with the head coach plans and modules, but I didn't know exactly what that looked like but they really hit the emotion. You know, the other line of the phone was really trying to understand where I was coming from and was really listening to me and just asking a lot of questions and not talking at me. So that I've referred back to that sales call so many times when I'm on a sales call with a client, like letting them speak, let them get their story out because everyone's unique. Nobody wants to be sold to people want to be heard. And I really try and, you know, cause my program now is, is a large investment. I've doubled the price of my main signature program over the course of four years, just, you know, with more experience and we're offering more value. And now it's not just me, it's me and my assistant coach. So, you know, it, the price increases definitely warranted. And so I refer back to that sales call as like, wow, what, what can I do to make people feel confident in trusting me with their health and investing in me and having them look at their life from both angles? What happened? If you make a change, how would that benefit your life? What if you had more energy? What if you had more confidence? What would you be able to do? And what if you stayed the same? What if you didn't make a change? Where would you be five years from now if you don't take the leap? And asking people these questions, it really gets them to think, oh, wow, I really do need to make a change. But I also say to clients, you have to make that change with someone that you trust. And for whatever reason, I just felt like I really trusted this person. So I ended up investing just for full transparency. I ended up investing $5,000, which at the time, like that that was my savings. You know, I had you know nothing else. And I was yeah. in a privileged position where I had very low personal cost and living expenses. I was living at home at the time. I did have a full-time job. I was working as a medical scribe because I thought that I wanted to go to medical school at that time. So that would give me some clinical experience to see if that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I got in there very quickly. I was like, oh, hell no. But I did, <laughs> I did start my business while in this full-time job. I remember in the middle of the sales call because my mom knew that I was on this quick 30 minute call and she, you know, she had dinner out and everything ready to go. And I was on the phone for two and a half hours. Dinner was cold, <laughs> you know, at least my plate. And I go downstairs because my wallet was downstairs and I'm like quickly explaining to my mom. I was like, mom, this program's amazing. Like it's going to be three months. I'm going to start my business. My mom's like, well, how much is it? And I tell her she's, she's like, oh no, you can't do that. Who is this person? And I'm like, mom, I just need to do it. Like he, the guy's upstairs on the phone. Like I just need to give him my, you're not, she tried to block me from you know going up the stairs when I had my wallet. Like it was a really dramatic moment, but I was like, mom, I just need to do this. Like I, I, I can't explain why I feel so called to do this, yeah. but I need to do this. And so she's like, okay. Everyone thought it was a scam. My mom, she started crying later that night. I can't believe you did this. Can't believe you spent thousands of dollars. What are you doing? Like, you know, your hard earned saved money. Like, what are you doing? For somebody that you don't even know, but I just felt so called mm -hmm. to do it. It was such an aligning feeling in my gut, in my chain, in my chest, a very expansive feeling. I just knew that I should be saying yes. And it was a very hostile environment at home. My sister was also living at home at the time. Nobody spoke to me for three weeks. No one spoke to you over this. Yes. I think a big thing you have to know too, and something you learn over time, but something I wish I would have known more is learning 
to trust your gut because there are going to be so many people that doubt you, like exactly what you happened in your situation with your family, being the first ones to doubt you to be so hostile over this decision when at the end of the day, it's your decision and you have to trust your gut. You have to trust that instinct. How did that feel? Oh my gosh. It was like walking on eggshells every day. It was so uncomfortable. And I just kept saying to my family, I was like, this was my line. I was like, just give me a month. Just give me a month. I will make this investment back. That was my first goal. Like, yes, I had a goal to like change people's lives and their health, but I was like, I just need to at least make my investment back and I will be okay. Cause anything that happens after that, I'm fine. The business can flop. It's whatever. But as long as I just make my investment back, I will be okay. And I was like, just give me a month and I'll prove to you that I can do it. And I still keeping up with my job. I was getting up at four in the morning, working out, showering, journaling, getting to the hospital that I was working at by, you know, 6am, 6.15, seeing patients until four or 5pm, taking an hour break to have dinner. And then I would be creating content, getting on coaching calls, getting on sales calls until like 10, 30, 11 PM, and then get up and do it. And I did that for a month and I was completely <laughs> exhausted, but do not recommend, um, like no work-life balance, but I just was so driven to make this work. And within three weeks, we ended up more than doubling the initial investment. That's amazing. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. And it goes to show that the amount of effort and energy that you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Like you had the hustle, you had the drive, and it is about those late nights. I think a lot of the time when you're starting out in a business, you're not just working on your business. You're doing it along with every other thing in your life. It's a side hustle. It's starting with that being your side and gathering all the information, getting those first clients, and then eventually you will make it your full time. And so when did that transition happen for you when you switched from this being your part time and your side hustle to it being your full time business and everything of that part of your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I was in that initial program for three months. So after the three months, I was making enough to replace my full-time income. And so I think that's a good place to start where you've been doing it for a couple months and you have replaced your full-time income and you know that you will be able to make more and be able to sustain that if you have more time. Like, especially early on in your business, you're wearing all the hats. You're the finance person, you're the sales person, you're the coach, you're the marketing director, like you're the CEO, like you're doing all of the things. So in order to keep scaling, to be able to take on more clients, to be able to create more content and just do more, you need more time. And then eventually you'll max out with that. And that's when you need to start outsourcing and hiring people. Cause you're like, I don't have more time and I'd rather trade money to get some of my time back. So, yeah, I would say, you know, for me, it was three months, but you know, I know some other entrepreneurs where they feel like they can't go full time until it's like a year into that being their side hustle. So I think you have to, you know, do what's best for you. And I, I know some other entrepreneurs that didn't go straight from full-time to quit and then full-time in their business. They started to go part-time and then, you know, kind of, you know, taking shifts here and there and backing off slowly to ease into it. And I think that's okay too. I think, you know, everyone has a unique situation for me. I really just needed, I couldn't back down with the hours like scribes are just, they were in such demand. It really needed to be all or nothing for me. Um, and at the time I was planning on moving to New Jersey with my boyfriend at the time. So I, you know, I just needed to like leave that job and be able to be fully remote. Can you tell us a little bit about like your business model, your business 
what that coaching looks like and how it's kind of transitioned over the past couple of years and changed. Yeah. So my business first was a carbon copy, full on blueprint to my coaches, like blueprint and plan. Um, and that's what was really sold to me. So when I hired my first business coach, I was in this coaching program where they taught you how to create a three month coaching program. And then once your clients go through that 12 weeks, then he teaches you how to create a program where you sign them up for a year. And it was interesting because I did that exactly with him. I did his three month program and then I did his year long program and I bumped up to that. So I, and that program was about 15 or 20 K I was on a payment plan for that one and, you know, just, just pay it over time. But I was in that for a year. So it was interesting. So I was very much like a carbon copy blueprint and on our coaching calls and in the modules, I learned how to structure a sales call and how to market, how to run a free challenge how to DM people and what, what to say. And then also on the back end, how do you structure a health coaching program? He was specialized in working with health coaches and personal trainers. So, you know, the scripts were very health focused. You can kind of plug and play and put in your company name and your ideal client stuff, but he outlined, here's what you could say in a course, here are different modules and here's how to structure a coaching call. So I just started with one program first. I had my three month be about being better academy. So we still have that program. That's, that's our main coaching program now. And now I only launch it four times a year. And we have a class at the time when I first started, it was just open enrollment. People could be starting and stopping whenever. So we've, you know, somewhat changed it now. And we've definitely changed the curriculum. Like what we John now is just, is totally different because I've definitely evolved as a coach. And then after people went through that program, you know, I asked my clients, you you finished this three months with me. What are your next goals. What do you want to be working on? Like now that you are meal prepping and you're exercising consistently and you have good routines, what are your next goals? And they're like, well, I really want to optimize my finances. I want to get a new job. I want to go to graduate school, or I want to improve my relationships or start dating or whatever it is, you know, keep healing my relationship with food or dive deeper into the health stuff. So that's how I structured my next program. It's like, you know, all of your programs in your product suite, they call it, well, they need to be solving some problem that your client has, but they also then need to be creating the next problem. So my academy definitely solves a lot of problems for people's health, but then it also creates this next problem. It's like, okay, now that I have so much energy and confidence and productivity, now I need to harness that and put that towards other areas of my life to be able to move the needle. So that pro- my, the program after that now a six month program, but it used to be a year long. Um, so it will be definitely adjusted with time. Uh, I just found that clients are more motivated in six month sprints versus a year. And so that program focuses on optimizing finances, relationships, gut health, career, more confidence building, more intuitive eating, just a, a deeper coaching that is more one-on-one with me versus group coaching. And then I realized, okay, that's definitely a big investment and not necessarily everyone's ready for those types of goals mm-hmm. after going through mm-hmm. the academy. So we need an academy light. We need another program that is, you know, someone finishes the academy. They, at the end of three months, they don't need to meet with me on a weekly basis, but they could meet with my assistant on a monthly basis and then have a weekly email check-in. So that's our better together program where it's kind of a step down. It's uh, clients are a little bit more self-sufficient at this point. They want a little bit more independence and freedom when it comes to their routines. Like they want to see, can I actually keep up with this? Can I do this? But we still give them a safety net. They still have that monthly coaching call and those weekly check 
seconds. So that was the next program that we came up with. And then I realized um, not everyone obviously can afford the academy. And there were so many clients where I'm like, you would be perfect and you need this, but there's a financial barrier. I definitely charge high ticket. I would have never charged high ticket and high ticket is anything, you know, over a thousand dollars. So I started pricing my academy at 1500 for three months. So 500 a month. And now it's 3000 for three months. And, you know, so, you know, over the four years, we definitely are providing more value and, you know, more accountability, more modules, things like that. You also went to Columbia in these four years. So, you know, you have a master's from there. Have to mention that part as well. Oh, true. <laughs> totally. Definitely. Definitely more educated, more credentialed. Um, and we'll probably end up raising our prices too when I'm a registered dietitian officially. Um so yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure that out too. But I also really like how the program is priced now in the product suite. My academy, although it's not the last program that people do, it's normally one of the first programs that people go through. I like that it's the bigger financial commitment because it gets people committed. And then it's more beneficial for clients. To, this is something where I disagreed with my business coach on. Because he thinks the longer that people stay with you, the more that they should be paying. Each program that they do with you should be more and more expensive. Because you're working on theoretically higher level goals, you're working more one-on-one, -on -one, things like that. But I said, no, I was like, when it comes to people's health, maybe that's business coaching, that's a good model. But in my opinion, for people's health, it's more beneficial to be getting accountability, being in a community, working with a coach for longer. And to keep it that coaching sustainable over the long term, it needs to be financially accessible. So the academy is my highest financial investment. Everything else is, is much less like the better together program. If you go right into it, it's $200 a month, you know, so going from a thousand dollars to 200, that client's like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep up with it. That's exactly what I was going to say, because when you are giving them the first big financial commitment after that, they're like, okay, well, I only have to pay this. It's so much cheaper than what I was paying before. So I might as well keep doing it. Not realizing that they may keep you together long-term, but you still are paying much less than you are in that initial investment. And you had mentioned before in all of this expanding, how you've brought on more employees because you need to outsource for time and everything to start to get your time back. How have you found employees that you trust? Because for me, so some things about my journey and starting my business. So I have a very different, I would say, business model than Abby. So Abby was my business coach when I started this whole thing. And I still haven't started my group coaching. That is something that is coming this fall for me. So for the past two years, the money I've been putting into this business is all design work because that is something that I am not very good at but is very important to me is good branding design work so I pay a lot on that end and like video editing video design especially for TikTok so that's what I mostly put my investments towards and that's cost me different things over time so when I did my first branding round I think it was like 2000 and then I just did a branding round and they did my whole website and everything and that was probably around five to six thousand in having all of those costs for me i know that it's just going towards my long-term picture and in having these things it's kind of important to me because it sets the foundation of like okay if everything looks cohesive and looks good then it sets the precedent for the whole energy and feel of the company in this process and in having this time I've had interns that work for me. I've had different designers, different people on that end. And I personally have found it very hard to like give up the reins and to trust people with your baby because it's hard. So what are some things that you've done to found employees that you've trusted? 
Yeah. So everyone is organically uh, come from my audience and I have posted my ad when I was you know, looking for a new position on ZipRecruiter and Indeed, I think there was another website that I posted on too, but ZipRecruiter and Indeed were the main ones. But then I posted, you know, in different Facebook groups too. And I just posted on my Instagram and my Facebook. And I was like, Hey, y'all looking for this new position. You know, here are the qualities that I'm looking for. Here's the application link to apply. And everyone that ended up being a good fit, the best fit came from my organic audience. My first assistant who is still with me. She's been with me now for three and a half years. She's fabulous. Um, Her and I used to do ballet together growing up. So we're from the same hometown. We know each other. We weren't necessarily like that close of friends when we did ballet together. We were just kind of in the same class, but we weren't necessarily in the same group. But it was nice because I could trust her. I know where she came from. Like I know her family. My family knows her family. But there was still that degree of separation where we weren't friends. Because I think bringing friends friends into business is very different. And I've had friends apply for positions, but it just, I've said to myself, this just isn't going to be a good fit because I don't want to ruin our friendship. And it was almost too close. So I'm happy that Jamie, my assistant coach, and I have had that degree of separation where we work really well together, where I'm her boss and she's an employee for the company. And how have you set boundaries? I think it is really important with mixing business and friends that if you are to do it, you have to have a very clear boundary between that because I have had struggles sometimes with having that relationship. I think for me, I found that in my sorority, I was asking for interns when I was still in college. Now, basically I've had, like you said, people organically reach out to me with wanting to work within the company. And I think just getting a read for people is very important. You can tell from your first interaction if you're going to mesh well with that person or not. So I feel like that's very important to just remember and to, again, trust your gut and instinct when making these business decisions, knowing that sometimes you may make riskier decisions and they could fail, but that doesn't mean your business is going to fail either, even if like something doesn't work out. In that, I would like to say, what is the best advice that you've gotten through this whole process, Abby? Well, speaking of hiring, I think the best hiring advice that I've gotten is that you need to hire slow and fire fast. You really want to make sure because hiring, it takes a lot out of you. It can take even be even more draining and take away from the business and your ability to run the business and have it be successful. If you have somebody on your team, that's not pulling their weight and it's just pulling your energy. So you really want to make sure that you're hiring quality people. And I can go over some of the questions that I've asked in the interview process. I had a very extensive interview process. I always brought people to a group interview so all app, like applicants, I had groups of five or six that were on Zoom at one time so I could see their personalities, how they are in a group. Because I um, used to have, I'm starting my dietetic internship next week, but I used to meet with my team twice a week as a group. Now we just meet once a week. So but it was important for me, are they going to, how are they in a group? And then from there, I brought, you know, we have probably had four or five groups of five or six people. And then I brought my top five to one-on-one interviews. And then I picked somebody from there. So the first group interview, I would ask questions like, you know, what does a healthy lifestyle mean to you? How does that show up in your life? I obviously want to make sure that they prioritize their health. What are three words that would describe your personality? I asked, what is the most important thing to you? Authenticity, impact, or connection, and why? 
all of those things are values of our business, you know, authenticity, impact, and connection. And there's no wrong answer with that. I'm just curious to see what they say and why it tells a lot about you know, their personality and what they value. I also ask, in, you know, in a previous job, what's one thing that frustrated you about a manager and how did you deal with it? And then I also ask the flip side too, what's a positive thing that a manager did that, that you appreciated? Uh, what's been the most impactful experience in your life and why are you best fit for the role and have everyone go around? And it's interesting to hear people's answers. It's interesting to see group dynamic, who comes off of Zoom first. It's, it's really, really interesting. And things that I look for are, you know, people that are very upbeat, mm-hmm. good on Zoom, because we're a virtual company. I want to make sure that, especially if they're client facing, that they present themselves well on Zoom. It's, you'd be surprised how many people show up on Zoom on their phone. I'm like, this is an interview or like wearing a hoodie. And I'm like, yes, we're a casual company, but this is also a job interview at the same time. Like, it's just wild to see what you see. Um, but all of that plays into it. And I always look for to are people acknowledging other people's answers? Like, wow, Susie, like that, that was a great answer. Oh, same here. And then they go into their answer. So I like to see that they're acknowledging other people in the group. And then once we get to the one-on-one interview, I ask them more specific questions that would be pertinent to the job. Now that I know that I like them as a person, I like their story, they present themselves well. Now I want to know, like, how do you stay organized? How do you stay on top of things? Where do you see yourself in the next year? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What are your longer term career goals? There have been great people that have applied to work for me, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, you want to start your own business. Like you want to be me. And I can't necessarily have people on my team, at least right now that want to be me. Like I just, I need people to help me not be taking notes on how they can start their own business and kind of steal it. So I love business coaching people on the side. And I've offered that to people that have applied where I can like teach you how to do it, but I can't necessarily have you working for me at the same time. I just think there's a different level of investment when someone's like, I need people that are fully in the be about being better mission. I love hearing you talk about Oh, thanks. It's so energizing. And it's funny because I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I feel like I kind of fell into this. It was just that sales call really threw me off. Um, My family used to always say, oh, Abby's so quiet. Like she'll never amount to anything. Like my grandmother used to say that to me. Oh, she's so quiet. She's so mousy. And now I'm like leading a multi six figure company, like leading a team, entrepreneur. Like it's just wild to me. Like I never thought that this would be me, but you know, here we are. Yeah, exactly. You have to be able to have the confidence in yourself before anything else, because you can't doubt yourself at the end of the day with this stuff. Um, And are there any other lessons or big moves that you've learned or made in this process that are worth sharing or some lessons that you wish you would have things you would have done differently? Yes. Oh, so many things. One thing is that when you're a business owner, a lot of things for taxes in your personal life are write-offs or tax deductible. And I think in the beginning of my business, I took that to the extreme. I think I started spending on things just for the sake of it being a tax write-off, not knowing it's like, I'm still having to pay for that because in my head, I'm like, oh, this is free. Oh, it'll cancel out. I can have a you know massage envy membership and get massages and facials every month. And I didn't really need that. Like, even though it was technically a write-off or you know, all the trips to Ulta or even dry bar, you know, when I first moved to the city, I would get my hair done once a week, you know, cause I was like, 
oh, it's for content. Um, I can, <laughs> I can just go do it. And, you know, having a Barry's bootcamp membership, it's like, okay, you know, all of those things are great, but I, you know, I could have had more of a savings. I could have had more of a profit in my business if I wasn't just spending things to make it a tax write off. So uh, it was just, th- those are some you know mistakes that I made. I think once you start making a little bit of money, you start to think, oh, I can definitely spend it. So I would say become very financially literate. Definitely read a lot of finance book, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, read Profit First. That book definitely changed my money mindset. Um, How to Become a Millionaire God's Way. That's another really good one if you're faith-based. Those books really, those books helped me realize, okay, it's not about spending on what they call liabilities and kind of spending on these short-term immediate pleasures. It's about saving, 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 squirreling money away for a rainy day, for a global pandemic. I think I would have been less anxious during the pandemic financially. Now we're kind of entering a recession if, you know, I had made better financial decisions in the beginning. I think a big piece of advice that I got about that was when you're making money and when you're starting to make money to spend like you spent in the last year when you didn't have that money for at least a year, because that way you're not spending extra just because you're making more money and you end up profiting more. But it's a hard lesson to learn. It it is a hard lesson to learn and it's hard to have that self-control. So I think the more that you can automate your finances and have automatic savings and automatic investments in an IRA or whatever it is, the, the better off you'll be. And not every month. If you have a high month in sales, it's not going to be every month. A lot of entrepreneurs do, oh, I've unlocked the next level. I'm going to, I'm making 10K months now, or I'm you know, hitting 15K because you have one really good launch or one really good month in sales. And you assume that you're going to be able to sustain that when likely that's not the case. Sales are up and down. They're so variable and you likely don't have the systems, especially in your first couple of years to keep that sustainably. So a lot of people will have a high month in sales, spend, 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 because they think they have more money now, but then the next month is lower in sales. And it's like, oh, probably shouldn't have spent that much. So definitely good lesson learned. Yeah, that's something actually my mom says to me all the time. She's like, don't plan money that you don't already have. And I'm like, you know, that's great advice as a business owner. Because you do end up assuming that you're just going to be making this amount when you've been making it for a couple months. And then you're there's a month that you don't and you're like, oh, I already planned for that. Oopsies. Oops. Yep. Yep. Totally. A couple other lessons that are more like mindset based, but that have really helped me when starting my business you know, don't see other people that are in the field as competition. There is an abundance of leads. There are abundance of clients and not everyone clicks with every coach out there. So if somebody is in your same niche, you know, one client might look at them, like that person, I don't really resonate, but they might resonate with your content and your branding and the way that you say things. So you need to get out there because there's an abundance of people. And at the end of the day, more people need to be helped, especially with their health. We just need more people out there that are supporting people with their health and what you focus on, you create more of. So if you're focusing on the lack, if you're focusing on the low views and the low engagement, the lack of money in your bank account on the debt, you're going to be perpetuating more debt and self-sabotaging. So you need to focus on the abundance, not the lack. 
Yeah. A lot of the time you're trained into scarcity mindset, which is something that I feel like even now, a year later, I still struggle with. Not comparing, especially when you see all of these people or a new creator rising up and you're just like, how are they doing it? But at the same time, you can't compare it to yourself. You just can't because at the end of the day, like you were saying, what you focus on expands. And if you spend the energy comparing yourself or focusing on other people, imagine what you could have been doing, spending that time and energy focusing on yourself and on your business. Like horses, you have to have those blinders on just for your business. I really like what you said about that there's different coaches for everyone, even if it feels oversaturated or niche. And at the end of the day, the way that you connect with people is completely unique and only something that you can offer. And something else that was a big lesson for me kind of going off of everything that we've talked about is just investing in yourself and your education is always the biggest payoff. And whether that be in hiring a business coach, going back to school, getting a new credential, getting a new certification, getting like a yoga teacher certification, any of that money that you're putting into yourself is something that you end up getting back tenfold in the long term, I think, because your education and your knowledge is what sets you apart from everyone else. So it's never a waste. It's always a payoff at the end of the day. Right. And that's why I started going back to school. My business coach was very against me going to graduate school. He was like, look, you're already making six figures. You don't really need a degree. You don't have to go to Columbia. But I was like, I feel called to go back to school, get more credentials. Really, that will help me stand out in the space. Like I saw exactly what you were saying, but sometimes influencers, other people don't necessarily see that. Um, and I'm so grateful that I did it. And I'm so grateful for Columbia convincing me to become a registered dietitian because I was just coming in for the master's in nutrition and exercise physiology. I was like, I love this kind of combo degree, but I'm happy that they told me to go the RD route so I can take on more complicated cases and we have more credentialing and more credibility. And we need that in the online space to weed through the nutrition confusion. There's so much nutrition confusion and misinformation. And I think that exactly like you were saying in the health coaching sphere in general, I think for wellness or anything that involves nutrition, you have to have those credentials because especially this was one of my next questions is how do you deal? Do you even take on people that have like a little bit more of more complicated cases that if they're coming into the academy and want to be a part of it? Or do you, again, like knowing your scope of practice, refer that out if you see that they're dealing with more complicated cases than you can take on? Yeah, absolutely. It totally depends. I'm very transparent with my clients about my scope of practice, especially in my first year when I'm like, I'm not credentialed in any capacity, but I knew enough to help people with and holding them accountable to drinking more water and just moving their body in a way that feels good and optimizing sleep and morning and evening routines, like very simple, healthy habits, smart goals, holding them accountable to those things. So my first client that I ever signed, she is a 53 year old woman. I mean, she's older now, but at the time, 53 year old woman, chronic Lyme disease and MS. So she has multiple sclerosis. This was the first client I said, I have no credentials at all. But she said to me, she was like, it's okay. I love your energy. I love what you talk about. And she's like, I need the community because right now I'm on an Island by myself. I don't have anyone in here. That's motivating me. She's like, I have doctors that are handling my Lyme disease. I am on medication. I mean, I'm with other doctors that are handling my MS. I don't need you for that. I need you for mindset. I need your energy for encouragement. I need to be around other people that are want to focus on their health. And she's like, honestly, for me, I can't really work out that much. I just need to get up with my walker and walk around 
around my house or, or walk up and down the driveway. That's very, and I just need you to cheer me on for that. And I was like, okay, great. Like, I was like, I can do that. That is within my scope of practice. So I felt very comfortable taking this client on. And we were very clear ab- about the scope of practice. You know, she would communicate with me about when she was going to the doctor. I'd hold her accountable to making sure she was going, going to those appointments and, you know, keeping up with whatever medication they had her on. So it was actually really nice to, to have that accountability. Now there are other clients where I'm like, look, you need to be working with a therapist. Like either we've been working together for a bit and something deeper has come up in our coaching calls or something came up on a sales call where I'm like, I'm not the right coach for you, or you don't need this program right now. You need something else. You need a different professional. And I can't offer that to you. And I can, I don't just leave them. I'm like, I'm, I can't be the one to do this, but I'm going to connect you with the resource. I'm going to try and connect you with another healthcare professional or give you some websites to help you find a therapist. Alma, A-L-M-A is a really good website that helps people find the you know, therapist with insurance. I always give them that resource. Psychology Today. I think those are like my two main ones. But yeah, anyway, that's really it. But I think if you have a thorough application and thorough intake form that gets people's histories, a lot of stuff will come up and you'll be able to be honest with people and be like, okay, I can help you with X, Y, Z things, but I can't quite help you with this. So either that doesn't make you a good fit for the program and that's why, or we can still work together, but we're only going to get here. We're only going to focus on this side of it. Is that okay with you? And go from there. And you have to be honest about your abilities because you don't want to overpromise people anything. So you rather underestimate and just be like, I can offer you this, this, and this, and then be okay with it. The same thing with my first client experience. I told her I was like very blunt. I only do this. You know, I'm in school. Like I haven't gotten my credentials. She was like, no, no, no. Like I want to take you on. I trust you. I know that you'll do a good job. And it, it really is of having that confidence both ways of them, like truly knowing everything about you and the, your abilities and then vice versa, you knowing that they're very interested and want you to work with them. One more question that I have on kind of biggest lessons and best moves. How do you deal with clients that may not be as motivated, may come in very motivated, but then fall off the wagon or you kind of like just start losing them after a couple months? How do you work through those situations? Everyone has those clients. And so it, it's not a reflection on you as a coach, right? Like it's okay. Everyone kind of has those, you know, first question, like, and, and my break, bring these cases to my team. Have we done everything to support this client? And I'll be honest, over the four years, there have been times where it's like, oh, my assistant thought that I followed up. I thought that she followed up. So the client didn't get any follow-ups. And it's like, okay, that was really on us, you know, and then, you know, we either offer that client a free week of coaching or, you know, a month on our workout app or something to try to try and make up for it or an an extra one-on-one coaching call with me or whatever it is to try and make up for that. So if it's on us, it's very rarely that that happens, but you know, when you're working with a team, you know, don't assume, but you know, we're human mistakes happen. Um, So you always want to make sure that, you know, there's nothing that happened on your end that that client didn't feel supported. And if you're not able to be able to follow up with people enough where they feel supported or whatever it is, you need more systems in your business for accountability. Maybe you do need to hire someone. Maybe you need to take on less clients or, you know, more check-ins because the more check-ins that people get, the better off they are. And then I find that sometimes people fall off because they, you know, have something going on in their life where they're in the habit of, oh, I need to stop everything for my health because this family emergency has to come first or, oh, I have to focus on moving. I can't do anything for my health. So they're like, I, or I'm sick or I, I have COVID. I can't do anything for my health where it's like, no, no, no. 
know, even if you're sick, even if you're going through a move, even if you have a family emergency, like your health can actually support you during this time. I'm not saying you need to do everything for your health, but journaling would be great for your mindset. Trying to meal prep your lunches when you're on the go and kind of rushing around could actually be really helpful or, you know, doing a meditation or prioritizing sleep or just drinking more water. Like that can help you so much to feel grounded and give you something to control when there's other things in your life that you can't control. So some clients will pull away because they think they can't do anything for their health. So I try and give them, I try and remind them that they can do something and it can be small. Another reason why clients fall off is because the goals are just too big where they bit off more than they can chew, like working out five or six days a week where it's like, okay, maybe we just need to start off with two or three, maybe not drinking a whole gallon of water, but let's just drink 12 ounces. Like let's just start really, really small. So it's easy for you to succeed. And then you get more confidence. You build momentum from following through on your goals that can really help to, you know, motivate people. And also asking them like using motivational interviewing skills, asking them like, what goal seems doable to you right now? If you, if they say, you know, I really want to work out. Okay. Well, realistically, how many days a week are you confident that you could follow through on that? And it might just be one for how long? Okay. 10 minutes. All right. Let's hold you accountable to that. So have them be guiding what it is. Cause they'll tell you what they're up for. Okay. And then the last thing, if it's not tangible, cause sometimes clients just need the goal to be smaller, but sometimes clients aren't motivated because they've disconnected from their why they don't see the larger picture. Like, why do I need to get up every morning and exercise? Why do I need to journal? What's the point of drinking more water? So they need to zoom out. And I do this kind of seven layers deep why exercise with clients sometimes that that are open to it. And I'll be like, why is it important that you exercise in the morning? And they'll be like, well, because I want to be more energized. Okay, why is it important that you're more energized? Well, when I'm more energized, I'm more present at work. Why is it important for you to be present at work? Because I'll be more successful. Why do you want to be more successful at work? I want to get a raise. Why do you want to raise? Why do you want to make more money? I want to make more money because I'm you know, saving for a wedding, saving for a family vacation, or we're going to have kids soon. And okay, why is it important that you have money for your family and your kids? Because I want to be able to give them the experiences that I didn't have as a kid. You know, so it's like, okay, wow, that's your driver. That's your why for getting up and doing exercise in the morning. And that that is so much more motivating to someone when they zoom out and they're like, oh, wow, I'm taking these small, seemingly unimportant daily action steps. I need to follow through on these things because that will compound to larger results and larger shifts in my life over time if I keep up with this. I love that example, especially that exercise, because it is really about getting down to that root that is your motivating factor besides the point of just your surface level things that I would say would come up within those first two or three questions. But then when you get to that six or seven, why, 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 you really start hitting these deep rooted layers and these deep levels of thinking that you need to start breaking down for someone to start influencing their behavior. What would you say in getting started with your whole business were the biggest essentials that you needed to set up to get started and to really make sure that you were implementing these systems and coming up with things like the seven layer exercise? So what are some things that you started out with and how have you been adding on different systems? Yeah, I needed to get very clear on my ideal client and, or, you know, my target audience. But I think if you cannot think about the masses, but just think and visualize one person, number one, that's going to give you more confidence to get on social media. Cause you feel like, Oh, you're not talking to the masses. And so many people you're just trying to speak to one person 
and whisper in their ear rather than talking to so many people. The more specific that you can be, the better. Your content will be better off for it. It won't be so vanilla. Um, and you'll actually be signing up clients that you enjoy. And if you're like, well, I don't have any clients right now. I don't know who I want to serve because I would, you know, think about if you have had clients in the past, like maybe you're a personal trainer that's going online or whatever you've worked with you. Think about the best clients that you've worked with. You know, think about the attributes of of that person. But if you haven't worked with them, then think about the lost version of yourself, the younger version of yourself that that was struggling that needed to hear. Like what messages did you need to hear before when you were starting off on your journey before you figured things out? For most people, your ideal client is um, an earlier version of yourself. So really getting into their head. What do they do for a living? How old are they? What shows do they watch on Netflix? Are they, uh, you know, are they a Netflix person? Or are they Hulu, right? Like, where do they live? You know, how much money do they make? You know, do they hang out with their friends? Are they, are they single? Are they married? Do they have kids? What kind of car do they drive? What do they prioritize? What kind of clothes do they wear? Like, you want to get so in their own head. And then once you kind of get those demographic things, then start to figure out what are their goals? What are their fears? What are some things that they've tried in the past that have worked that haven't worked um, and what do they really want? What are their larger, what do they say they want, but what do they actually mean? What are their large motivation? Cause a lot of, you know, clients will say, I want to lose weight, but at the end of the day, they really just want to feel comfortable, confident in their own skin, or they want to, you know, improve the intimacy with their partner and feel confident in the bedroom, but they're saying they want to lose weight and they think that losing weight is going to get them there. And it's like, well, no, but um, so. Well, no, that's a confidence issue that we can work on as well, but Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But a lot of clients, if you say that on a sales call, they're like immediately turned off. They're like, well, no, I just want to lose weight. They don't like we see it. So sometimes you got to just get people in, um, you know, kind of show them what they want, but then give them what they need. But increasingly, I have been so transparent to my clients that, you know, that this is not a weight loss program. I cannot guarantee that some clients do lose weight, some clients gain weight. Like, it's just kind of what it is when we're healing your relationship with food and working on intuitive eating, your body's going to do whatever it needs to do. But I can promise you that you'll be happier. You'll be more fulfilled. You'll feel more connected with your life and with yourself. That's what I can guarantee. Can't guarantee that what's going to happen with your body. And so clients know that in the beginning, because my content is also very clear on that. So your content can also help you weed out who's in your audience and who's not. People are going to be opting in or not. So, and Emily, we saw this when we first started with you, when you start posting content, that's very niche and speaking to your ideal client, people are going to unfollow you and you're going to think your content's not working. No, that's perfect. That's what should be happening. Also, when you start posting more, especially reels, real, it's showing your content to more people. So more people that were following you are finally seeing your content and they're removing themselves. They're, they're weeding themselves out and that's okay because you want people that are following you and actually engaging with your content that are actually going to engage and are your ideal client. So it's okay that people are weeding themselves out because that leaves more room for people to find you and the right people to be engaging with your content. Um, so you have to, you know, really find your target audience and work to niche down. So that was my next question. The big debate about a niche. Would you say it's more important to have your target audience and then be posting for the target audience and eventually that kind of boils down into your niche? Or do you think it's important to start with a niche first? 
I think you have to start with a niche first because people are going to be coming to your profile and you want your profile to be optimized. Like your content's not just the content that you post or you going on your stories. It's like you need your profile to be optimized and your I help statement to be optimized as well because you only have a couple seconds to grab people when they come to your profile. So everything really needs to be there at the time that you start posting. So you can't just say that you help people with a healthy lifestyle. For me, it's like I'm helping you create a diet-free lifestyle. So I'm my niche is people that already know diet dieting doesn't work for me. And I want a non-diet approach. I want something else and specifically helping to heal their relationship with food. Um, not just helping create a healthy lifestyle, but for me and niche is like, I actually want to help you sustain it over the long term. So we're not sweating for the wedding. I'm making sure that we're healthy for life. And that is a really big indicator because some people, they don't care about the rest of their life. They just care about the next event that's coming up. So that helps to, you know, and potentially that's the same ideal client for me, but I'm catching them at a different point in their journey. I would say niche down first and really figure out, you know, what is the overarching theme of my content? How is my approach different? And how could I be more specific? Like I follow entrepreneurs that just work with clients that have ADHD. Like that is so specific. So, you know, people that have ADHD that also want to be six or seven figure earners, like that is a really specific group. So her content really caters to that. And her business has soared because I don't have ADHD, but I still also resonate with her content. So, but I think most people that follow her now, now do have ADHD. So I think the more that you can just make your content specific and less general, that's what niching down is. And In that process, do you focus in on what your values are, your mission statement, all of those aspects, or does that just come with time? Yeah, I think that can be expressed, not necessarily in your I help statement, because you only have a few characters, but that will come out in your content that will be on your website, the themes that you always come back to. Like for me, my values are you know, a non-diet approach and sustainability and finding balance. So I'm always repeating those words, balance, sustainability, anti-diet, non-diet, coming back to those themes. I think what's really helpful for people is to make a list, just, you know, writing on a page, here's a list of what I stand for and here's what I stand against. And that can be really helpful with creating content and making sure that you have content that is hitting and kind of rotating through all of those points. So anyone can come to your page at any time and know what you stand for and what you stand against, what you believe and what you value and and what you don't, because that will help you connect with the right people. Because you want people to have that me too effect. You want people to look at your page and be like, this person gets me, me too. I feel the exact same way, or I value the same things, but this person is farther along in their journey. They have the result that I currently want. And In terms of tips on how to expand the business, for me, that's, I feel like something I've been doing from the content creation space, obviously coming into podcasting, that was an expanding the business move. I think when you're taking on new ventures, you just have to take the idea and actually just put in the work to do it and stop sitting on the guesswork of it. And the more that you're actually putting plans into action and just trying to figure it out or taking tangible steps of being like, okay, I want to start a podcast. Okay, what equipment do I need? What software is post? Where can I record? How do I edit? All of those things, even if it's not you actually taking implementation of posting the podcast, it gives you the tangible action to be like, okay, I can do this. I can do that. That doesn't seem so bad. Or find out what you need help on in X, Y, and Z and 
figure out the resources where you need that support. I think it depends where you want to go in what ways you want to expand because, you know, with a podcast, sometimes you don't always see a direct financial return. I think podcasts can be a longer term investment. It can help to warm up different leads because people are spending more time with you. It's longer form content. They get to know you more personally, but it can take a little bit of time for those people to warm up to you more and trust you where you're kind of automating sales from there, getting paid clients from it. So I think it just depends. Expanding to you might be creating another program opening your roster up to more clients or creating a course where you're, you don't have time for more clients, but you still want to help people. So that's a way to get more revenue with less of your time. Expanding could be hiring someone on your team so that you can get more into your zone of genius, kind of takes one of the hats off that you're wearing and work more in your zone of genius or be able to take, like for me, I hired my assistant coach so I could take on more clients because we had kind of maxed out as far as our time goes. So I don't know, you know, I don't want to say they were poor decisions, but when I first started my master's degree, I think think I should have doubled down on what I knew was working for me when I was going through such a transition period. I had moved to the city, which is very, moving to New York City is a lot. It's very overwhelming. You're trying to figure out the subways. I was also starting school. So you're trying to navigate your classes and how hard everything is. And the degree program at Columbia is not easy. So it's like adjusting to the city, adjusting to school and the Columbia expectations. I was going through a major breakup at the time. I was going through major health issues. So it was just very overwhelming. And at the same time, we were launching a new like lead generation strategy through a paid webinar. Literally, it was the worst launch I've ever done. We did not get one sign up. I, we did not do the webinar because we did not have one sign up. And then the next month I launched it, but it wasn't paid. We just made it free. And I think maybe we had like five people again, like two of the worst launches ever. I'm like embarrassed to say this, but everyone kind of has those flops. And I used to view those experiences as a failure. And I was like, I'm such a bad marketer, but it's like, no, I just, you know, at that time in my life, I had so much going on. What was I thinking, trying to take on something new? You know, I should have just doubled down on what I knew was working for my business and just waited a few months until I leveled out and it's got settled into school, got over my breakup, uh, healed my gut, you know, a little bit better. It was just, that wasn't helping my gut health issues that all stemmed from stress. So I took on more than I can chew. And I kind of was having this, they call it something like, you know, golden idea syndrome, like your shiny, shiny new thing syndrome, where you just kind of want something new for your business. You don't always need something new for your business. Like I are, I mean, yes, we're starting our podcast in a couple of weeks. That is a new venture, but it's going to be just another form of content creation for us and it will be fine. But as far as programs and enrollment goes, we're just launching the same programs that we know work for us. We're not taking on anything new as I transition into my dietetic internship. But I also want people to not be afraid to launch or try something new because either you get the result that you wanted or the lesson that you needed. And I needed that lesson that I was taking on more than I could chew. And it wasn't the right time to try something new. I should have just doubled down on what I knew was already working in my business. And I think that it's really important, like we've mentioned before, that you have to view it as not a failure, but again, as a lesson. And it's always going to teach you something, even if you aren't getting the financial payout of it or more clients signing on or whatever your goal was. Even if you're not achieving that direct goal, you're still achieving something. 
something. I think that in life, it's very easy to get caught up in taking on too much. And it's a big balance and lesson that you have to learn, especially in those beginning days when you are grinding hard and it's not only your business, but whatever full-time job or position or whatever else you have going on in your life, you're in a grind where it is the work to life balance is much more work. And so in backing off with all of that, you have to learn that balance of what is chewing on or taking on too much. And I think the point that you brought up of sticking to what you know is very interesting because I feel like a big problem in business is people don't stick to it long enough and that's why things don't work out. It's not because the idea or their business plan was necessarily bad. It's because they don't stick in it for long enough through the hardships of adapting and evolving. And that's at the end of the day, what you just have to do is stick to it and adapt and evolve in a way that is conducive and grows slowly because in having those systems that you establish for yourself, that's when your business will grow exponentially in the years to come. And taking any criticism or just anything that you're getting, whether that be a failed launch or very critical criticism or just good feedback everything is feedback at the end of the day so when you're taking that just as a way to grow instead of taking that and being like oh I suck oh this isn't gonna work oh like giving that more energy instead of taking like okay thank you for telling me that let's adjust this this and this way as a business owner you have to be able to separate that and not know that it's a reflection of you personally a reflection of your business in its entirety but just a way for you to grow yes yes and i also think too if something doesn't work like if you have a failed launch it doesn't mean that the program was horrible and you shouldn't try that launch again, but view it as feedback, use that as data for yourself and then make a couple tweaks and then try it again and then see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And then, so you could keep repackaging the same thing and making tweaks to make it better. Cause the first time that you present it, there might be some problems with it. If you have a failed launch, it doesn't mean that the program sucks and you should never show it to anyone again. It's like, no, use that as feedback, use that as data for yourself so that you can make some tweaks, repackage it, and then present it again, and then see what works, what doesn't work from that. Make some tweaks, repackage it, and present it again, and keep getting better and better and better, and you're perfecting the same product rather than always thinking you need to create something new. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for joining us, and it was so good to have you here. If you can just give your socials and where people can find you, pimp yourself out. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm mainly on Instagram and TikTok, same handle, abby.stacy or A-B-B-I-E dot S-T-A-S-I-O-R. And mid-September, I don't know exactly when this launches, but mid-September, we are launching the Be About Being Better podcast. Uh, So super excited for that. And we're going to be diving into all the non-diet health things. Uh, My chronicles in Nashville uh, will also be recapped on the podcast. So definitely give that a listen. And, you know, I do do private business coaching. So DM me if that's of interest to you. And if you feel like you need health coaching, definitely reach out to, to Emily or you can take my quiz if you feel called to do so. Yeah. And if you need group coaching, mine's not launching for a little bit. So Abby's your girl. Because by the way, you just need to start. 
As always, thank you guys for listening. And if you want to explore any other science-backed topics on the podcast, we are on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. If you want to read anything else about this topic specifically, you can go to our blog at www.healthandbody.com. And for our socials on Instagram, you can find us at BTW by Emily and at Health and Body. And on TikTok and Pinterest, you can find us at, at Health and Body. As always, we hope you learned something new and got to sharpen your life toolbox.